I was thinking tonight during the sitting. I was thinking about the fact that I was here tonight, and also the fact that all of you are here tonight. And we are, in some ways, an expression of going against the stream. The teachings of, uh, of the Buddha, the teachings of awakening, have often been described as against the stream. And generally, the stream that is being referred to as the stream of what's called samsara, the stream, the endless, the endless stream of, of searching and becoming, the endless uh, aiming of our life toward um, what we want to hap- have happen. And that kind of, that kind of stream tends to have the effect of uh, making it very difficult to stop and to keep quiet and look within. So to just the fact that we're here and we're stopping, uh, in some ways, is an expression of going against the stream. Our world, as you can see it, has gotten faster and faster. Our technology is moving information faster and faster. We've gone from, as Mark Morford, I think, says, from um, multitasking to microtasking to filling every possible moment with some kind of activity, associating our well-being with busyness and productivity. And that's the, that is the stream of, of at least urban life and I'd say life in general, it, even in the, in the non-rural places, there's often a, an obsession with, uh, with getting on to the next thing, with planning and fantasizing and projecting. And in general, you could say our world is ruled by the experience of lack. Of, and it's amazing that our world can be ex- marked by lack in, because we are, as a, at least in this culture, we are um, more abundant and wealthier and more, have more access to food and shelter and clothing and everything. Uh, any culture at any time in the history of the, of the universe, you can say. And here we are with a a culture that could be described as uh, the wanting mind, wanting. Insatiable, unslakeable desire. So to stop and simply experience our lives as we are right here, to at least even for a few moments, not in our minds or in our bodies, going out of ourselves into, the, into time, into the projection of ourselves in time, even for a few moments, to just stop and be here, to feel our hearts open, feel our bodies, and whatever the residue of having moved so quickly, to even be willing to feel what the effects of our life is, that's actually really rare. 
So I was appreciating that um, that all of us are, um, at least tonight, are against the stream. And the stream tonight was, watch the Giants. And that's a wonderful thing for community building and... It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful to watch the the elegance of the teamwork, and there's so many things beautiful about the Giants and embracing the Giants and and the the unity that it brings to our community. But it is also um, a. What? Hang on a second. It's it's also for many people. More important for the giants to win than it is to be liberated, to be free. And I, I was thinking, part, part of what I was thinking of, would I have been here tonight if I wasn't the person leading the group? <laughs> and it was a good question. <laughs> But it seems like the effect of having devoted myself, I, you know, I've been here now almost every Tuesday for almost 30 years. <laughs> It'll be 30 years at the beginning of next year. It's just unbelievable. But I think it was the effect of having gone against a stream for a certain uh, period of my life in a very intensive way that, um, that um, had the effect of losing losing some kind of um, losing some I don't even know how to talk about it but losing some kind of agency some kind of view that that this life is all about me and what I want to happen somehow that left me and I became in some way even though I still function as anybody does as an individual I have a family I have this or that but I became a, what I like to call, and I think I've said it before on Tuesday night, a Dharma slave. I've, I gave myself over to, to the Dharma. And so for all these years, there have been a few nights that, where there was a game or a something, I, but I've had, to give, I've, I've had to say, no, I can't do that, so over and over. And that's become something that actually gives me a certain degree of pleasure. There's a certain pleasure in, uh, in giving way to the Dharma. It's a pleasure in renunciation. And it doesn't mean that I don't take, um, it doesn't mean that I deny myself pleasure. I have plenty of pleasure. And I don't think giving oneself over to the Dharma, it means giving up the things of this world, but it is a shift in pers- perspective. It's the shift in value that I give to things or that you may give to things. And just the fact that you showed up here tonight, maybe, it, maybe the giants don't matter to you. Maybe you came here in order to escape the giants. Marissa, you, you are dying to say something. Please. I spent my entire sit judging and beating myself up, like, what's wrong with me that I want to come and sit here? And I, why aren't I out, you know, all these people are out there, and I felt all the <laughs> like, like, it was like, you know, what is wrong with me that you, that this is what you need, you need, like, I kept thinking, I'm so worked up, you know, on the way up, I just 
just need to sit down and kind of like Jeez. metabolize or integrate or just settle down, you know, and I'm like, why can't I handle more coming in and more coming in and more coming in? Because I, I just can't, like, and so finally when I ended the sit, I just was like, I think that if I'm somewhere else, I'll be able to escape my real self and maybe like what, I'll suddenly become a baseball fan and that'll be the thing that makes me happy. It was like this whole story. Wow. So I was like, you know what, what's causing me pain is that I'm not like that I want to like abandon what I really need. So then I felt like chilled out that I was here doing what I needed to do because I can't keep giving myself away to what I think is going to be the better thing rather than Thank you. Thank you for confessing your delusions and, and describing. No, I, I totally get that. And, and if it isn't here that we're... This is an opportunity to open to our, our pain, to see what our mind is doing all the time that's running us, running us ragged, and to, to be able to bear witness to that. And hopefully... Somewhere in the pro- in the process, that it that your clarity of perception about what your mind is doing will crack open the heart that is tight and is self judging and open, as you did by the end, open to yes, it's appropriate that I take care of myself. Yes, know what's happening. Know whether the breath is rough or shallow. Beautiful. I'm glad you're listening. Let's go. Everybody else was lost in thought while you were listening, and then you were lost in thought while everyone else was listening. <laughs> we all, we're, all, we're all mentally ill. All of us. And so it's so, it, it's so useful to stop and, and just to even know that and not try to escape from it. Separateness is just a feeling. It's not true. It's a, it's a kind of delusion that is built from, from our view of ourself. It's a view of ourself as separate. It's a thought. And we, there's, of course there's conventional separateness. You know, you're over there and I'm over here. But in the deepest part of ourselves, there's no separateness. And that, and that separateness that you were feeling was based on the way that you were thinking. After your last thought of separateness and before the next one, where's the separateness? It requires your memory. It requires a view in order to feel that. And that's also why we stop, to realize that we're not so separate. And that feeling, that, that lessening of separateness that we often feel when we're quiet satisfies our heart's longing to feel connected. And the paradox is that 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 longing to feel not separate is fulfilled by coming into our separateness, (laughs) our individuality, our autonomy. I think I talked about it a couple last week or the week before that paradoxically autonomy leads to intimacy. And if we're constantly busy running after the crowd, being, wanting to be like everyone else, then uh, we often abandon ourselves, lose ourselves, lose that, lose that sense of embodied presence. 
So anyway, I'm, I, all this is to say I was happy that, you, that we were all here. And, and I don't know how many of you know, how many of you don't want to know the score? For different reasons, you're recording the game? What's that? Oh, you didn't know there was a game. I love you, I'm divorcing my wife, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, the Giants are losing tonight 10 to nothing. <laughs> and it's funny, it's, I, just a, a little more confession of delusions. Once I realized that they were, they were um, just getting smoked, as somebody used that expression, there was a moment where I felt pride <laughs> for having chosen to be here tonight. <laughs> and, and had they been winning, I, w- I might have felt it. <laughs> so it's, you know, the, per- the view of self, ego, just has, it has no shame. It will take anything and build a sense of self around it. So it's just, we are all mentally ill. And, it, it, and this is why we open to it all. It's why Rumi says, even if it's a crowd of sorrows that empties your house of its furniture, meet it at the, at the door laughing and invite it in. Welcome it. As uh, Dingo Kensi Rinpoche, a wonderful Tibetan master, said, Everyday practice is simply to develop a complete acceptance and openness to all situations and emotions and to all people experiencing everything totally without mental reservations and blockages so that one never withdraws or centralizes into oneself. This produces a tremendous energy which is usually locked up in the process of mental evasion and general, a general running away from life experiences. Clarity of awareness may, in its initial stages, be unpleasant or fear-inspiring. If so, then one should open oneself completely to the pain or the fear and welcome it. In this way, the barriers created by one's own habitual emotional reactions and prejudices are broken down. Or as Dana Falds, I think I read this poem, oh, maybe, I don't think it was last week, maybe it was on the weekend at our half-day retreat on equanimity. Dana Falds' poem called Allow. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In a choice to let go of our known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes.
So because this con- the context of this evening, of these evening groups, uh, is uh, the sharing of the basic teachings of the uh, Buddha, the awakening of the Buddha, the practice of insight meditation, and, and the whole range of heart practices as Tara is going to lead this week, uh, it's, I find it very important to, to remember what the, what the through line in the teaching. I always, the first thing I always think of is the Buddha taught one thing, as he put it, I teach one thing only, dukkha, which is life has things that are difficult to bear, dukkha and the end of dukkha, the end of the mental dukkha, the mental reactivity that, that, makes, that, that creates a feeling of um, excessive stress added to the, the basic dukkha of life, dukkha meaning things that are hard to bear, what adds, what turns that basic dukkha into pain and suffering and, and, um, and mental suffering is, um, is this intense desire to have things be different than the way they are. So the Buddha taught all about the fact that we have dukkha in our life and how to, how to live with it in harmony, how to be free in the midst of our, of our life. That's all he taught. He wasn't interested in anything. Dukkha and the end of Dukkha. And his life expressed, at least it seems to me, it expressed uh, what it really means to be happy. Even though you hear this, these teachings about Dukkha, about stress and suffering and all the difficulties that meet every single person's life, the Buddha was called Sukhiya, or the happy one. So it was all about happiness. And I find it's useful to remember the ways that the Buddha talked about happiness. He said that there were basically four kinds of worldly happiness that we can all have. There is the happiness of having uh, resources, having senses, and then having resources. There's the happiness of how one uses those resources to benefit others. So there's the happiness of having and enjoying, the happiness of sharing. And then there is the... um, Well, I forgot the third one just now, but I'll tell you the fourth one. The fourth kind of... Oh, yes. No wonder I forgot it. The first one is having and enjoying. Second one is sharing or using your resources well. The third is being free of debt. Debt Debt-free. On many... On all levels. Material debt, emotional debt. And then the finally, the one, the last one that he described was the, um, the great happiness of being blameless, of being, uh, acting in this world in harmony or wisely or non-harming. And of those four kinds of happiness, worldly happiness, he considered the happiness of being blameless, living a life of non-harming, as 16 times more important than the first three. 
So each of any of anybody who wants to be happy in this life has to start with with um, how it is that you um, how it is that you live your life. How do you how how do you how do you practice reverence for life? Do you practice respect for your own life and others' lives? Do you kill? Do you steal? Take that which is not offered. Do you practice being content with what you have? Or do you, are you always out seeking? Are you, do you practice non-harming in your relationships with your speech? Do you cause harm with your speech? Do you cause harm with your sexuality? Or are your sexual and your, your relationships harmonious in your speech? Are you ever cruel? Are you ever, um, do you ever, uh, in some ways, dump your, your ill will or anger? Everybody feels frustration, ill will, anger from time to time. But do you, do you sit with the, with the turbulence of that, feel its underbelly, its vulnerability? Do you ever let yourself, even if you're frustrated tonight or or angry about what happened to the giants. You're not. I know nobody here is. Can you feel the tender side of just being disappointed? Disappointed. It's a much more... It's usually you're on the road to acceptance if you're feeling disappointed. I always think of people in relationships, especially. There's this tendency to be really critical of the other person. You start having desires to have the other person that you're with uh, be the made in your image. And you, we all know nobody is made in our image. And, and rather than feel the vulnerability of not being able to control how that person is, feel the, and then just feel disappointed, which is a kind of acceptance, instead we just start getting critical, blaming, demanding. And that's, and then it comes out in our speech. It can anyway. So it's always useful somewhere in the process of, of our, our self-inquiry and self-knowledge, self-awareness to, to feel the, to feel the, the tender, the vulnerability that's driving whatever that demand we have of others. And, and if we do, then maybe we won't cause as much harm with our speech. So it, all, every day we're faced with the, with the uh, potential to cause harm with our speech or to, um, to heal, to come home to ourselves, to cultivate through our restraint the happiness of blamelessness. Otherwise, we're just making hash of people and then making hash of ourselves when we see the results. I'm just, I'm actually self-disclosing what I did in my younger years. I, I was very demanding in relationships. I was immaturely trying to get everyone to be just the way I wanted them to be. I bet nobody here can relate to that. So if we establish this 
habit of non-harming with our body, speech, and mind, it brings great happiness. So that's, that's one way of talking about the happiness that is possible in human life, the, the real joy that comes from our actions being non-harming or pure. And that requires that we stay home, that we stay attuned, awake, embodied, tender, really vulnerable. And that means to feel those, those feelings of disappointment, helplessness, hopelessness, to let it all in. Because that's basically, that comes with being human, is that we are vulnerable. I think that may be the truest thing about us, because our bodies are subject to, to change, to sickness, to old age, to dying. Our, everybody in our life is subject to the same thing. Uh, we have, as, as the Buddha described, we have eight worldly winds blowing through our, li- our lives. We have one example tonight, ten to nothing, loss and gain. Nobody's immune to that. Praise and blame, fame and shame, gain, you know, p- pleasure and pain. That, that's vulnerable. You cannot find lasting security and satisfaction in any one of those winds. So this is... So our lives are tender. So our identities, if we, because we're also, the way we're wired, I, I think I can generalize, the way we're wired is, as a community, we identify with our community. We build an, ident- we build an identity view around being a San Franciscan. Anybody have that? It's natural. And then once you build an identity view about being a San Franciscan, you then have a certain affinity to the teams that San Francisco presents, the baseball teams, the football teams. And then you're, if you identify with those teams, then you blow with the winds of whatever their circumstances is that, that team is doing. So there's a lot of people tonight. And this is a very innocent thing. This is what egos do. We, but we also identify with our bodies and don't like when they don't cooperate. We identify with our feelings and we don't like when... When, and our thoughts, when we have all these 65,000 thoughts repeating, you know, 90% of them repeating every day, we got, get identified with those, there's a lot of vulnerability. So our, our practice is one of opening. The cause of happiness is opening to our vulnerability. Just like the Dingo Kensi Rinpoche not spending our life in mental evasion, but opening to it all. Tenderness. Passionate about tenderness. And that means we have to learn to cry. If we're not crying, there's something wrong with us. I, don't, I, I shouldn't say that. Some people are of such, such immaculate equanimity that... It's beyond crying and laughing. But I, you know, really human beings have to cry and laugh if you're open-hearted. From the Buddha, loss and gain, disrepute and fame, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, these things are transient in human life, inconstant and bound to change. 
The mindful wise one discerns them well, observant of their alterations. Pleasant things do not stir her mind, and those unpleasant do do not annoy her. All likes and dislikes are dispelled by her, eliminated and abolished, aware now of the stainless, griefless state she knows having gone beyond. So this is points to, because of the vulnerability of our life, we have to, we naturally want to find some security. That's how our life is driven by security. And it turns out that in the world of changing conditions, we cannot find security. And the happiness of a Buddha is the, first of all, the the understanding that Nothing whatsoever can be successfully clung to as mine or as me or that that will give me lasting satisfaction. Whoever is, and this is what the Buddha said, whoever understands that nothing whatsoever should be clung to and lets go has heard everything you need to know about the teachings, has has practiced the teachings, has realized the fruit of the teaching because the fruit of letting go, the fruit of no longer having, living with a kind of misplaced faith in something of this changing world, giving lasting satisfaction, lets go. And in that experience of letting go, there is a realization that, um, that the a much more reliable kind of happiness, sometimes called lokutra sukha, unconditional happiness, is available to one who does not cling anywhere. A stainless state of freedom, of a sense of, of, of um, immovability, state of equanimity, a state of freedom comes from letting go, from opening to the joys, to the sorrows, to everything, not clinging. So the Buddha talked about two kinds of happiness. I do, I've talked about this so many times because it was so helpful to me. He talked about what he called worldly happiness, which has all those kinds of happiness that I talked about. All the kinds of pleasures of the senses, all the kinds of pleasures of, of even meditative kinds of pleasures are all part of worldly happiness. Happiness that depends on conditions being a certain way. Depend The happiness and the pleasure that depends on satisfying some kind of hunger, fulfilling some kind of desire, eliminating some kind of dis-ease, that kind of happiness is called worldly happiness, lokiya sukha. That kind of happiness the Buddha also called the happiness of slavery, the happiness of bondage, because we get so stuck in that kind of happiness that uh, as, a, as our devotion, as our main source of happiness, that we, um, that we are um, in a fairly constant state of, of um, waiting, constant state of dependency, constant state of of, I call it suspended happiness. Whether, 
depending on whether things work out or not, whether I whether the team wins, whether I get healthy or not, whether I whether I my mind quiets down, whether I have a good meditation or a bad meditation, whatever whatever it is that we're we're setting up some kind of dependency. This is the where most of us dwell. And consequently, we go around and around and around. And I, it's important, I think, to remember that all those pleasures of this world are fantastic if you have a wise understanding of them. That renouncing dependency on those kinds of pleasures, it's not giving them up, but it's understanding their limitations. It's understanding that the pleasures of the world are not reliable. We can't rely on our body being a certain way, our mind being a certain way, our heart being a certain way, our team being a certain way. It's just not reliable happiness. So it's important that we all learn to fulfill the, the teachings of William Blake where he, he said to kiss the joys as they fly so that we can all live in eternity sunrise. He says, she, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But she or he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise. So to be able to just enjoy the, the world of sense pleasures, but know what its dangers and what its limitations are. And instead, aim for lokutrasukha, aim for the unconditional happiness, the happiness and well-being that doesn't depend on circumstances. Can you even imagine that or no? Curious. Every moment of opening to life as it is is actually creating the, the seeds for that kind of happiness, of opening, of allowing, of not, not spending our life evading reality. And that kind of happiness, Lokutra Sukha, is so close that we, that we um, don't see it. It's, in some ways, it's so easy. And it's, it's really, that kind of happiness is so natural to us. That's why Gendon Rinpoche says, happiness cannot be found through some great effort and willpower but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself, he says. There's, there's nothing to do or to undo. He says, don't just notice how everything comes and goes. Learn to sit in the middle of it. Is don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant that's already resting quietly at home in front of your on your own cushion. And it it is in the beauty of the Dharma, the teachings of awakening, that if you aim for that that highest happiness, the happiness of freedom, nibbana the sure heart's release, that all the other kinds of pleasures of the world come in, their way, in the wake of that. You're able to enjoy the world. But, then you can, but maybe, just as importantly, you can bear the sorrows a little bit with a little bit 
more understanding that things are the way they are and not have our mind fall into wanting things so desperately to be other, otherwise. And we come to some kind of acceptance. So attitude is everything. And beautiful example of attitude, I'll just share a piece that I, I recycle every six months or so. It's kind of a sad story, but it gets better. One day a farmer's donkey fell into a well. The animal cried piteously for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. Finally, he decided the animal was old and the well needed to be covered up anyway. It just wasn't worth it to retrieve the donkey. He invited all the neighbors to come over and help him. They all grabbed a shovel and began to shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey realized what was happening and cried horribly. Then, to everyone's amazement, he quieted down. A few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down the well. He was astonished at what he saw. With each shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He would shake it off and take a step up. As the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would shake it off and take a step up. Pretty soon, everyone was amazed as the donkey stepped up, o- up over the edge of the well and happily trotted off. <laughs> so life is going to shovel dirt on you, all kinds of dirt. Trick is getting out of the well to shake it off and take a step up. And the way, to, the way we can do that is, as um, the Buddha said in his teaching in the Anguttara Nikaya, the short-numbered sutras, that he called one fortunate attachment. He said, not, let not a person revive the past or on the future build his or her hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentless day By day, by night, it is he, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. Another way of saying this is stay here and do it ardently. This is where reality is found. This is where peace is found. This is where Lokutra Sukha is found, is in ardently embracing mindfully your life as it is. And then you can see what needs to be changed, what can be changed, and what must be accepted. But if you're lost in the building the past or the future, you, you can't, it's hard to be wise. It's hard to be loving. It really opposes love, our mental evasion and projections. It just blocks 
our way to the source of, of joy. So that's why I'm happy to... I'm always ha- I, I realized also in my thoughts that in all those 30 years, I've never, ever, ever, ever been unhappy I came. Isn't that amazing? I, that's pretty cool. Never been unhappy that I did a Tuesday night. And it's because, it's not because I, I'm doing, it's, it's because of the, I'm reminding myself of the Dharma, of the truth, the way things are, how it is right here. And, uh, and no place can improve on that. Our mind's going to say, oh, can't wait till I get home. As though home is better than just awareness of wanting to go home in this moment. Oh, isn't that interesting? Anyway, Mark, you had your hand up. I'm sorry. How did the donkey? <laughs> Good question. That was a koan that just stopped my mind, and I had a, a satori, a, a realization, a, an enlightenment experience. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, we're all, I'm so sorry. We, we're 10 after 9, and we've gone over time. I appreciate you being patient and listening, but, and if you don't mind one more minute, let's just keep quiet. And reflect on our good fortune. Words of Plotinus from the year 205. Let the soul banish all that disturbs. Let the the body that envelops it be still. And all the frettings of the body and all that surrounds it. Let earth and sea and air be still and heaven itself. And then let the body think of the spirit as streaming, pouring, rushing and shining into it from all sides while it stands quiet. May all beings find the quiet of conscious being, of being awake, mindful, ardently. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings be happy and know the causes of happiness. May all beings be liberated, and may our practice today and every day be dedicated consciously to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be free. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your generosity. And um, please come again. Thank you.
és Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for that, for the other copy. Thank you. I'm sorry if that comment just came off as kind of flipped.